0: You're listening to The Q's Podcast, episode 106. Thanks for tuning in today, Q's Podcast Nation, to our latest show. Whether you're listening from your car, your home, or your office, we are grateful to you for joining us. As you know, This show is where you can hear credit union industry leaders and cross-industry experts provide a wide range of perspectives on trends and topics relevant to you. My name is Lisa Hograff, Senior Editor for Q's and our credit union management magazine. Given the transitions and retirements of CEOs that continue even during this time of a global pandemic, the next generation of leaders are assuming the top leadership positions in credit unions. During today's podcast, we dive deep into CEO succession planning, both from the perspective of candidates interviewing with a board and from the perspective of boards interviewing candidates. We have two leading experts in succession planning on the show today. The first is Dee Myers, who has more than a few letters behind her name, including PhD. Dee is CEO of Dee J. Myers, a Q Solutions provider based in Phoenix. Also joining us is D.D.J. Myers' Senior Vice President, Peter Myers. D.D. and Peter partner with boards to proactively manage CEO succession. They work with executive teams to ready themselves for the inevitable transition. And, of course, they help individual professionals realize their potential and most effectively assume the CEO position to lead an organization into the future. You might want to take note that D.D. and Peter's podcast from last May, How to Smash a CEO Interview had a remarkable response. You can listen to it at cumanagement.com slash podcast 73. I expect you're going to find a lot of value in what Didi and Peter have to say about CEO Succession. But first, a word from our sponsor. Strategic Resource Management has helped more than 1,050 financial institutions add 3.6 billion of value to their bottom lines. SRM is an advisory firm specializing in critical areas such as payments, digital transformation, core processing, artificial intelligence, and operational efficiency. SRM is best known to credit unions as a partner with knowledge and expertise that can unlock opportunities that lower costs, enhance revenues, increase productivity, expand customer satisfaction, and deliver a competitive edge to clients. Through working with SRM, credit unions can gain the information they need to adapt to constant and accelerating change. Change is here. Adapt, survive, thrive. SRM is a Q Solutions provider. Connect with SRM today. Visit srmcorp.com for a list of services, testimonials, or to set up a free initial assessment. Tune in to weekly posts at SRM Corp on LinkedIn, Facebook, or Twitter. You can also subscribe to the Bottom Line blog and enroll in the SRM Academy. Okay, now let's get started. Welcome to the show, Didi and Peter. It's great to have you back. Hey, Lisa, we're really glad to be here and thanks for having us today.
1: Yeah, I appreciate it, Lisa. Thank you.
0: So in my reading this morning, I saw a headline about the aging of boomer CEOs and that credit unions need to get ready for the impact of their retirements. As you work with credit unions today, what are the kinds of candidates that you see boards hiring into the CEO position?
2: That's a really good question, Lisa. So there's the kind of candidates that boards are hiring, and then there's the kind of candidates I would hope they would hire. So let me break that down into a couple pieces. One, we still have the internal CEO candidate. The internal executives who believe they're ready yet have never been on a CEO readiness track. They've just shown up every day, done a good job as a CFO or maybe chief marketing officer. Yet what's missing and uh, sometimes breaks my heart, they haven't been appropriately challenged to be CEO ready. We do see boards promoting those executives into the CEO role. But the challenge there is, is it takes them longer to spin up because they've not been in that seat before. And I'm sure there's people listening today say, well, even though I haven't been a cross-functional leader or I haven't been on a CEO readiness track, I believe I'm ready. So we could talk more about that later because I think there's ways that can be taken care of. The second is I'm real excited about boards who, yes, they realize they have some good people internally, but they go, yeah, there's might be somebody externally. So what do we really, really want? One of my favorite reads is Ram Charan. One of the things that he talks about is boards should not have a linear checklist of competencies. Yes, we do need to have a checklist. We need to have a list. We need to look at different things, which we can talk about later in the podcast. Yet what's really magical is how do we take all these competencies and weave them and figure out, can the candidate pivot the organization? So back to your question, Lisa, what I'm seeing, the boards that I'm working with is they're looking for top tier leaders who do have cross-functional leadership. It doesn't mean they necessarily had to lead many, many different functions in the organization. Yep, they had to influence areas outside their initial span of control. So I think that's a, a great way to look at it. We're also looking at leaders who know the business, yet, but they also know people and they bring in the people, the human factor into the leadership. And third of a long list here, but really important, is that they know governance, they know boards, they know how to work with boards. So it's really hard to put a CEO into a role or someone into a CEO role who's not had experience, at least in those three areas. It
0: kind of speaks to the idea of cultivating your people right along, right? So that your
2: C-suite has a variety of experiences as they go along. Absolutely. I love that word cultivating. So cultivation does not happen overnight. It's not an overnight phenomena. So we want to set it up and have these different milestones, different testing places along the way to test our internal candidates. And test ourselves. Are we ready? We had a lot of candidates in the spring around April areas start to go, well, maybe I'm not ready to be CEO in this new environment. And then others would step up into the risk. So we do want to look at cultivation. When we're interviewing candidates, one of the first things we listen for is how do they talk about themselves and how do they talk about their leadership? And my listening there, Lisa, is are they talking about a list of things that they've done and they capstone it with, the next thing on my list is to be a CEO. Are they talking about how they help influence change and take risk and help others cultivate? I'm
0: hearing you say that there are some things to look for to know if someone is CEO ready. I heard from a woman a month ago who had just become CEO when the pandemic hit. And I think she was very grateful that she had a good network because she was ready, but that was a huge step to take as a brand new CEO. So how do you know if you're ready with the support of a good network? How could you define that in maybe three or four concrete ways?
1: We can define being ready in a number of different ways. I like to think of it as like there's ways that we can measure. There's ways that we can self-assess we're ready. There's ways that other people can assess. We can be ready, as Didi said, with some skill set and perspective cross-functionally, etc., I would even argue that being ready from a capacity standpoint, like, am I ready to really take on this role and everything that comes with it? Am I ready because I understand the market, because I understand the business and its potential? For simplistic, or conversational purposes, we can get like a yardstick out and measure that. But I think I want to distinguish between being ready to get the job and being ready to do the job exceptionally well you Know when Dean and I are out there and our team were out there. I don't think that distinguishment is really in people's minds. It's really just the board offering the job. That's the distinguishment by being appointed by the board. But that doesn't mean you're ready to smash that job and just do it exceptionally well. We like to really think about make sure you self-assess why you want to get this job. What are the primary and secondary reasons for it? Look in the mirror. Look deeply in that mirror. Find someone I would say that you trust to give you unvarnished feedback, someone that'll shoot you straight, as it were. Ask them, what do you think are the primary and secondary reasons why you think I'm vying for a CEO job? Because, you know, Didi alluded to this earlier. We get, you know, when it comes down to, we get many, many candidates that tell us, well, Didi, it's the next logical step in my career. And, we hear that a lot and I, I'm glad that they don't see our face. Well, maybe in these Zoom days, they will see our face. It is not a compelling reason to anyone else besides you that is the next logical step for your own career. It's not It's not important to anyone. The CEO job is, is very taxing and boards and uh, members and, and staff, they want someone that is going to put their needs far and above and beyond own self-interest needs. I think we all know what maybe narcissistic type leaders look like, feel like. I don't think anyone self-assesses that way, but we've all maybe seen someone like that. It's just not sustainable for the organization. Is not the kind of way to lead an organization. I'll, I'll put it more simply. One of the primary jobs of a CEO is to get the best out of their staff, really help them see their true potential and motivate them in that kind of way. Staff will go the extra mile for someone they, they know has their back Primary or has the members back. Primary, the more honest you are about why are you interested in this pursuing this job, if compensation is in the first and secondary kinds of reasons, it might not be the job for you. you might not actually like the job. So the more that you face into those reasons, I think it, it empowers you to take the right actions.
0: That's so interesting. So it kind of sounds like some experience in various areas of the organization is important, but what might be paramount. Is your interest in being the leader and motivating people and helping the staff align to the vision?
1: All those things, people can smell it from a mile away, that self-interest. They, they can just feel it. All they can then do is see you through that lens. It just makes your job harder as a leader if that kind of comes out of you. number of years ago, uh, we're doing a succession planning project with the CEO and he was looking five years out. He has since retired. It's been five years One of the executives that he thought was going to be his successor right out of the gate said, yeah, I'm looking for it for the money. I got some kids in college that are coming around that time and I really want this. And I'm not exaggerating. And the CEO was probably one of the most selfless individuals that I've had the pleasure of working with. And (laughs) when this individual said that afterwards, the CEO was like, okay, well, I, um, I was wrong about that individual. But you know, for the best thing for the organization, that board did not select that individual as their CEO. And I think that was the right decision.
0: Very interesting. So in addition to having experiences in various parts of the organization, how can someone get ready for these more aspirational leadership parts of the CEO job? And how can they know when they're ready to take that on? Good question,
2: Lisa. One of the things I would say is step onto the burning platform couple ways we look at the burning platform. We wake up one day and we have COVID-19. We're on the burning platform. We got to go. The other way is you see something, something's going on. The organization needs a big change and it's going to be tough. Step towards it and step on the burning platform. Take a lead role. Don't worry if you're not competent or you don't think you're competent. If you're committed and you're willing to do the learning and you're getting coached It's going to get you there, a long way there. So I would say step into the burning platform. We have too many people being comfortable. We're stretched when we step on the burning platform because we have to go places we've never been before. Think about how much you've learned about yourself. And I've learned a lot about myself the last six, eight months running a company and having a bunch of kids. You're always, always learning. So we want to, yes, cross-functionally learn. But the neat thing about cross-functionally learn is not just the expertise that we're getting. If I'm a CFO, what is marketing all about? What's digital about? What's lending about? But it's expanding our ability to widen our perspectives. When we are working in different parts of an organization, the lenses they look through are different than my lens. So I'm able to learn more about people, human development, how they see the organization, how they make decisions. And then we'll be able to do the dance and, and actually pivot more readily if we have that experience. So I'm not saying lead those organizations, but be involved. Step into projects that your peers are working on, even though they don't touch your area of expertise. Step into those projects. Ask if you can get involved and help. That's really, really important. Look for ways to innovate and create. Look for ways to get out of the box. Um, one of my favorite reads is Leadership and Self-Deception by the Arbinger Institute. Get out of the box. Uh, so really is like, can you step into and can you be comfortably uncomfortable and making decision-making with a wide range of risk involving the entire enterprise. That's getting you there.
0: That's great, GD. Thank you for that. The next couple of questions I have for you guys tie in with a question that we got from a Q's podcast listener. That was Q's member, Roberta G. Armijo, who is a member of the board at 209 Million Guadalupe Credit Union in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Roberta asked, What are the best suggestions for finding the best CEO? So let me ask you more specifically, from the board side, how do you know if your internal talent is, or is going to be ready to be CEO?
1: This is a great question. And I like that the audience is navigating and prompting things in because we need to know what they want to know. To answer the question, how do you know if the internal talent is, or is gonna be ready? First and foremost, a step here, and I think it's more simply stated than put into action, when boards are working with what we call a search consultant, the board has to have a vision for the future. They have to have a vision for the organization and the future. And the clearer that picture is, the more easily outlined that path and development of internal talent can be. I'll state it maybe a little bit differently. If the board is like, yeah, yeah, we want to keep kind of just whatever growing, then that development path for the internal talent is harder to pinpoint and measure. The crispness of that vision, it just provides more action. To get back to the internal talent question, if we think about they're going to be ready, I would say, does the board see that internal talent as someone that can launch us into the stratosphere? If the board wants us as an organization that we really move and shake, et cetera, they have to look at that individual Can that person do this? On the other side, if the board is saying, yeah, we can keep going as it is, and the organization has a great foundation, and really we're just looking to continue and progress in that, well, then they need to find that person to just leverage what we've helped build. I mean, I'm overly simplifying it, but that's a couple of ways to think about it. The board has to know where the organization is going. I don't think organizations across the country do this even remotely well. If you want to understand if that individual is ready, you got to have that kind of exposure. You have to understand where that person has been, their starting point years ago and see their progression up until this point. Too often organizations, large and small and I mean large that don't have any kind of best practice with us and even small, they don't create opportunities for the up-and-coming talent to have an audience with the board. It's strategic planning season right now and And we're out there working with our organizations in this kind of capacity. And one of the primary elements that we do, and I would say 90% of our strategy development and deployment program, is we want to create an opportunity for that C-level talent, diverse set of C-level talent, as well as sometimes the next level down set of talent to have that kind of audience with the board. So the board can say like, oh yeah, look, look at the talent that's you know, two layers deep, wow, you know, they're sharp or, you know, maybe they're not sharp, but you know, they're up and coming. They need to understand that. I think too often board members are asking this question, well, are they ready? And they're asking that question six months out from the transition date. And I think it was maybe, Didi, maybe, I don't know, a week or two ago, we had a board member call us and said, hey, in seven months, we've got our CEO that's going to retire." and we don't know what to do. Well, geez, seven months out for the most important decision that's going to happen here. I mean, there's some opportunities that you missed, right? You got to work into that.
0: You guys have done some great content for us at cumanagement.com over the years about the value of bench strength. And I think that what you're talking about there is the board setting a vision for the credit union to have some strength throughout its ranks so that they're developing talent. That's something I like a lot at Q's. They're developing talent right along. So they're developing a CEO, but they're also setting a vision for having people in the pipeline to backfill. So what happens if the board doesn't believe it has a viable internal successor? What kind of internal candidate will other peer executives endorse or root for?
2: We've seen more of that, Lisa. There's a couple of situations the last couple of years where there might be three or four or five internal candidates And they all interview, and most of them are probably not ready. And at the end of the day, all five say, I hope one of us gets it. As long as one of us gets it, we'll be happy. And so they become a force together, and that they message that to the board. And the board starts having that message come in, oh, we should hire one of them. What happens is when the board doesn't hire one of those five, and they hire an external candidate, it makes it a lot harder for the external candidate to onboard because there's such a force there. However, if you're a great external candidate with all the leadership we're talking about, you should be able to manage that. Another thing is I don't believe the board should hamstring the new CEO and say, don't fire anybody for a year or two. Don't do that. Because what happens is maybe these people are just not going to work well together on behalf of the membership. And We really have to think about the organization, the membership versus one or two people. I I think we need to think of everyone, but we have to look at what all the costs are. So we shouldn't hamstring our CEO and say no. But most CEOs, good CEOs, are not going to let anybody go, not do a change on their team till they go deep and they do an assessment. That takes a while. But when it's time to make the change, if needed, to change out an executive, the board should let the CEO do that. If the board doesn't believe there's a viable internal successor, back to what Peter says, breaks my heart a little bit. I think if we had the right recruiting skills, the right vision, approach towards people and development, we should have viable internal candidates. And I own a search firm. To me, I'm wondering, where was the attention? However, what happens, so I'm going to expand a little beyond the current question, is if the board does their work and they start five, four, three years out- and they proactively assign the CEO development of people to be CEO ready, you're going to have more of a winning situation. But when there's the board doing their thing and the CEO doing his or her thing, and they're not overlapping on the strategic or viable vision for internal succession, then it's not going to happen. They do have to go out and do a search.
1: Did he's touching on a couple of awesome points there. If a board doesn't believe there's a viable internal successor, at what point in time did they learn or come to that conclusion? And then what actions did they take thereafter? One of the most important jobs of the board is to ensure continuity of leadership in the CEO position. And if we can see that there isn't viability of that inside to the organization, that we need to put that structured plan in place. And I think you'd be surprised actually how often I've even been surprised even this year, how the board, let's call them nine members, how half of them will see internal candidates in one way, the other half are looking at them in a different way. If they're trying to make that assessment, that judgment in that actual transition timeline, as opposed to in advance, as Didi was saying, three, five years in advance, it creates a lot of friction. That friction creates pain points and it makes it harder for the transition. And then, you know, as Didi was saying that, Internal front, those those ex that say, "Hey, I want us all, one of us to get it." There's some messaging that we got to work through. We we're, we got to be in this thing together. That alignment that Didi is referring to, one of the things that's kind of surprised me over the years, and I've picked up on it is, board members are keenly aware of the alignment factor on executive teams. They can smell it from a mile away if there's some kind of friction there about some strategy that's being put forth. And that's their job. Hey, like, what's going on? You know, are we together on this? And so when there is some friction, that's not necessarily helpful. Maybe we need to explore it.
0: So I'm thinking that it would be good for a credit union to be thinking about CEO succession at least three to five years before they would anticipate it actually happening. And since sometimes they can't anticipate when it's going to happen because a CEO might choose to leave, they pretty much need to be thinking about it today. If they didn't think about it yesterday, today would be a good day to start. Is that fair?
2: Yeah, we have a five-year plan that we give to the industry step by step. Here's what to do five years out. Yet we don't have to wait five years. We should always know who could be CEO in our organization. We should always know who, obviously, we do know who our internal interim candidate could be. What we don't know, which I hope more boards would know, Lisa, is what are the strengths of this person? How does this person really lead? What support do they need? Can we push them a little more? Can we expand them a little more? So more opportunity here for the board to really, really dig into this.
1: Yeah. One of the questions you said a minute ago too, and I probably want to just take it a little more head on because I want to caution people is, you know, the endorsement factor, right? The other executives endorsing each other and CEOs and all that. I think it's been a little bit of a mixed bag in terms of peer executives making what I'm going to call unsolicited endorsements of internal candidates. We've seen it all the way. And this is a handful of years ago where there was this letter sent by one of the execs and some of the board members are like, oh, okay, well, that's nice. And a couple of board members are like, hey, that's outside the scope of the process that we've outlined, and this person knows the process. Again, that pressure of the timing of the transition is something we got to pay attention to. So when we do it in advance and the board can see, oh, look, hey, they all seem to be kind of rallying behind Didi and we're two years out. Wow, that's something we should be looking at Didi then. We should be understanding that kind of question. CEO endorsement is another tricky situation. Yes. As Dee said, we should be looking at talent readiness at certain checkpoints years and years out. And then at certain points, the CEO should say, yes, Dee is who I would recommend and she is ready to take over my seat now. Should I win the lottery? That's an option. Now, if the board says, well, we're going to do a external search and we'll fold in Didi into the process Then it becomes a little bit of a, I don't know, slippery slope for that CEO to continue advocating in the middle of that process when a board has decided to open it up to the external market. I've seen CEOs maybe make it harder for that internal candidate be seen in a good light. So I think maybe we're not saying it enough in the industry in our articles, but start early, do it often. Don't wait until the last six, seven, 12 months to have these kinds of, evaluative readiness kinds of conversations, because the pressure of the transition, it just changes the game.
0: Great points about readiness. I want to mention that you guys have a very popular previous episode of this podcast, How to Smash the CEO Interview. I will put that link in the show notes for anyone that wants to go back and listen to that one as well. Peter and Didi, what are the must-dos for internal candidates when they interview with the board? Yeah. Yeah
1: is a good one. Write this down. You have to have a vision for the future. Don't just assume that the trajectory we've been going on is exactly what the board understands as the trajectory or that path. Out of your mouth, the first, the seventh, and the last thing you say should be that clear vision for the organization in the future. It has to be compelling. If you say We're going to keep doing what we've been doing. And that's the most compelling thing that you can say. You are doing yourself and your candidacy's viability a disservice. I can't tell you how disappointed boards are when they see a viable internal candidate does not have a distinguished and refined vision. I've seen it a couple of times. I can say, hey, look, you know, I'm, I'm willing to bet that if you would have done that differently, there might have been a different outcome. I think one of the assumptions that maybe internal candidates make is that the board wants to keep going in that manner. I'll kind of address the elephant in the room for internal candidates. What if I don't want to keep going the exact trajectory we've been going? I get a little scared to say, well, I think we should pivot 10 degrees to the right. Or what if I think 90 degrees to the right? I would say that the board is owed. They need to know what they're buying if you have a different vision, they need to know what that is. And the membership is owed that. They need to know what that refined vision is. So I think you got to be in that kind of conversation. There's ways to go about this. There's ways to have that kind of conversation where it's not throwing anyone under the bus.
0: That would be a topic for a whole future podcast, I would say, yeah. Peter, how to have that conversation without throwing anyone under the bus.
1: It may be a Q&A session, a live Zoom meeting where we're just going back. There'll be a lot of people asking that question.
2: That's a neat idea. I like that. Yeah. Just adding a couple of things here is one, don't come in to the interview assuming the board knows who you are. They might see you an hour yeah. a month or an hour every two months, but they don't really know you. So treat yourself like an external candidate. Great advice. Wonderful yeah. advice. And don't come into the room with no papers, without something to write on, without a show and tell that you walk in and there's nothing in your hand, you're not taking notes. You're very comfortable because you think you're the pick. Guess what's gonna happen? You're gonna get so nervous, you're gonna forget the question that was asked. Bring something (laughs) to write on. Boards love it when you take a little note here or there and you've got prepared list of questions to ask. They believe that you're doing some planning there. I sit in so many board interviews and these are some mistakes that I see for internal candidates. So pretend you're an external candidate, show up better than ever.
1: And just to be clear, Didi, we prep them. We have our checklist of prep things that we're saying to them because we want people to do. As we said a few minutes ago, listen to that podcast. We give you some tips and tricks. I'm
2: That's even across so- the room going, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> but the people get so nervous, they can't even see me. Giving them the hand single, let's move on.
1: It's a pressure situation. You got to prepare and act like it's a real situation.
0: What's it like for a board to go through a CEO succession process? I mean, they're volunteers after all, and this is a pretty big deal. And how long does a CEO succession process typically take?
2: What I prefer to do is to work with a committee for three or four hours and start the conversation. What does the ideal future CEO look like? And we might be looking out, like Peter said, six months, a year, two years, five years. But let's start and and cultivate that. Yes. And then we bring the whole board into it. Most boards uh, and chair people say, I didn't really know what to expect here. And now I really feel like I've been putting together a strategic vision for our CEO role. Because we walk through Lisa 20 page booklet. That's a template to help the board decide what they want and how they want to talk about the role and all sorts of different parts. That's really, really exciting. The hardest part or one of the hard parts for the board is to practice what I call FOK. Step away from your current CEO. Pretend you don't have a CEO. Pretend you have no internal candidates. Maybe pretend you were just given this credit you to lead and you need to design what the next CEO looks like. Take out of your brain matter, if you can, what the internal candidates look like, what their competencies are, because that can get mixed in there and get things kind of messy. So divorce yourself, set yourself apart from that. What may happen if that doesn't occur is the board members are actually creating the competencies from the filter of their favorite internal candidate. So one of the questions we get a lot is, oh, do we really need to have a master's degree for our CEOs? And I'll say very rarely are CEOs now hired without a master's degree. Well, what about a bachelor's degree? Of course, of course, a bachelor's degree. And then there might be a board member who says, well, do we really need to have a bachelor's degree? I mean, what about a lot of experience? Because I know they're thinking of an internal candidate who didn't finish their degree. So that's why we say step away. We even like to do it outside of the credit union so there's a different surroundings or these days it's great on Zoom. So it's step away, fresh slate, clean whiteboard and let's go with that. That's the first part of deciding what the next CEO looks like.
1: Can I ask you, Didi, how often are you hearing boards when they do that? They're coming in and and are they saying, oh, we have a clear idea of what we want. And so I'm not sure why we're going to spend a couple hours in this conversation. And then what do they say on the outside of that?
2: Oh, they love it. They love it. So what's happening is and we talked about this earlier, but I'm just going to drive it home. At the end of the session, they have clear alignment, how to see the next CEO, how to talk about the next CEO, and they can start to imagine what that person looks like. And they're excited and engaged. And and it also, what we hear, Peter and Lisa, we hear that they've become better board members because now they're upping their game.
0: That's great advice, Didi. You've already outlined a couple of things that candidates shouldn't do, but what are some more no-nos for candidates, whether they're internal or
2: external candidates? Oh, I can have some fun with that. One is make sure you shake everyone's hands. If you don't, that's a no-no. So you do that in the beginning and you do that at the end. Sometimes candidates are so nervous at the end, they just get up and bolt out the door without saying goodbye.
0: What's the equivalent, Didi, on a Zoom interview?
2: Because that's what's happening right now, right? I love it. Yeah, go, go around the screen and say thank you to each person and call them by name. Beautiful. Yeah, so... Acknowledge everyone. So don't interrupt the person speaking and don't talk too much. So, rule of thumb if you're talking more than 50% of the time, and let's say there's seven or nine board members in there, you're talking too much. But then boards go, Well, we want to make sure it's an interview. And I say, Well, the way we contextualize it is a conversation. So be aware of when you're losing them and they're glazing, their eyes are glazing over. So, what you might do instead of talking too much, There's a question you might give an answer for two or three minutes. Then you can do a pause and say, I can go deeper. Do you want me to give you some more examples here? And let them drive that. Another no-no is to go operational. We encourage to be at the visionary and strategic level. We prefer not in the first interview, at least to be operational, like how we're gonna do things. Yet you've gotta read that in the room. Some board members are highly operational. They need to be able to breathe in and understand how you would get something done. So you've got to take care of that, but be careful about going down a rabbit hole. And the last thing I'm going to say, because there's a long list here, don't froth at the mouth. And you might think, really? I do have that happen at least a couple times a year where people are so nervous, they're frothing at the mouth. If you froth at the mouth, just consider it in your self-reflection that you're not ready. If you can't handle the interview, then you can't handle press, media, tough board members, just step back. So those are four notes. Yes, send a thank you note. That's a to-do. Send a thank you note afterwards. That's really nice. Ask for the next step. The purpose of the first interview is to get the second interview. It's not to get the job offer. So be careful in modulating your information. And if you don't say you're interested... The person who comes after you, who might be on an equal level as you, and that person says, hey, I'm really interested, and then guess who's going to get the call.
0: So, Peter, earlier we were talking a little bit about how tricky it can be to manage endorsements when other people internally say that they're in favor of a particular CEO candidate. Can you talk a little bit more about the CEO endorsement in particular? What happens if the current CEO does endorse you or doesn't endorse you?
1: It's always great to have more endorsements from reference letters, all that. Unless there's a contentious relationship, very rarely does a CEO's endorsement not carry weight. Let me take it from the angle of, let's say I'm the internal interested party. I think it'd be great for you to find out this kind of support questions sooner than later. Ask your CEO for an assessment well before the situation becomes a reality. Ask them point blank. And maybe we don't have to talk about the CEO role, but just say, hey, look, I'm C-whatever-O. What do you see is my potential to evolve as an executive with a broader leadership responsibility, more expanded influence? Do you see people, my team and others, interested and willing to follow me? And I think that can be really invaluable intel to get years in advance because it can be life-changing. There's been times where CEOs have said, when we do our succession development program, oh, I'll never support so-and-so to be my successor. Oh, okay. Well, tell me why. Oh, so they list their reasons. Okay. Well, do they know? No, I'm not going to tell them that. Okay. Well, they. what if they think that you're going to support them and you've never told them anything negative, right? I mean, we're talking about people's lives here. So we got to have those uncomfortable conversations, Sometimes people on the internal side, they're fearful of having that direct conversation with the CEO because they don't want that CEO to think that they're vying for the job or I'm trying to push you out or anything like that. I'd say nine out of 10 CEOs won't take it that way, especially if you have the right intent. But I'd say nine out of 10 internal candidates might have that fear. So work that conversation in. Have it more than once, have it every six months. Hey, how am I developing? Have I reached my peak? What's next for me? And then down the road on the no side, let's say they don't endorse you. If we think about the timing of that, the timing of the lack of endorsement might be more the reason why there's the absence of that endorsement because they're trying to be a couple steps removed from the process because this is a board decision. It really is a poor decision and we really like it when CEOs remove themselves from the process and it makes it a little bit cleaner, but that doesn't mean you can't take proactive action years ahead of time. Another way to think about it, I'll take another kind of angle here is getting a CEO job is years in the making. Sometimes executives call us and it's almost as if like they just woke up and they're like, it's time for me to pursue a CEO job. And then they're surprised, they're equally surprised that- we don't put them into our final candidate slate because we don't assess that they've been adequately preparing themselves. The CEO job is just too important to be leaving it to the external factors. You got to put your hands on the wheel. You got to drive this car. You got to be proactive about it. You got to have these conversations, get this kind of feedback.
0: I love this idea of learning and actually pursuing learning by asking good questions of those that are working with you on the executive team. It's just fabulous. Oh, so speaking of the current CEO, what is the current CEO's job in the CEO succession planning process?
2: Well, a couple areas here, Lisa. One is in supporting the board and the board's definition of the future vision of the CEO. So what we like is to do the work with the board and or the committee, get a certain place in the path on that. Then I love working with the CEO and asking what their perspective is and what do they see as needed down the road for a CEO. And most of the time, it's really fun because the CEO goes, you know, for the next CEO, I think they should have more of this or more of that. And I don't have that, but I think the board needs it. Maybe more technology than I do or more futuristic thinking. So I really like to get their insight into the vision of the future. A second Is if there are internal candidates, I like to get the insight of the current CEO on the candidate. So we keep it fairly structured. We don't ask who their favorite is. They wouldn't tell us anyway, but we would ask three or four or five questions that would help us get a better definition from the CEO perspective of the readiness of the internal candidates and what they've done. so I have some clients like that right now that are really supportive in that way. And then the third thing is provide access to resources. I like to look at your strategic plan, your org chart, position descriptions. It's great to see a board packet, like what is a board used to? It's good to see what kind of decisions have been made. It just some information about the organization. From the internal perspective, the role of the CEO in succession is what I said is, you know, give a perspective to your search consultant And throughout the process is to give your internal candidate, Peter already talked about this, rigorous development opportunities. Garth up at service does that. He's a Q's client. Awesome opportunities that he provides his team. Total role model for giving rigorous development opportunities to his team there. And also ongoing rigorous feedback to the candidates. Here's what's working. Here's what's not. So those are some of the things that I look for. At the end of the day, when it's time to do the interviews and we're bringing people in, and I know it's really hard, but the CEO needs to step away. They need to step away and, and separate themselves. From time to time, I think it's a good idea to keep them updated, though. Here's where we are. Here's what the process is. We don't want to have any blind spots there for the CEO, and there's a, a lot of honor and dignity. There's an offboarding process, Lisa. At what time does the CEO stop making CEO decisions? So, what we do is we work out with the CEO and the chair what's the offboarding and what are the kind of decisions and the timing that the CEO abides by for maybe not the day he leaves or the night before she leaves, signing a contract for a new core processor, right? Those kind of things. And then, secondly, onboarding. It's nice when the exiting CEO, the legacy CEO, provides a packet for us so we can help effectively onboard the new CEO. Those are some areas I enjoy working with the CEO in the succession process. A
0: great resource for the succession planning. I love that you mentioned Garth because he is our Q's Outstanding Chief Executive for 2020, and he will be on the cover of the December magazine, which will be out at the time this podcast goes live. So everybody should check out the profile of Garth. He's amazing.
1: Nice job, Garth.
0: Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. For Favorite sure. person.
1: Well-deserved.
0: So inspired by Garth and the many other fantastic CEOs that we have in the industry, I am sure that there are listeners amongst today's audience that want to be a CEO. And I am sure that there are potential CEOs in the audience today that want to be CEO for the right reason. So for those people may not be CEO tomorrow or even anytime soon, What can they start doing, learning, shifting today to potentially get more ready and
2: make it more viable for them to grow into that role down the road? I love that. So when we are doing a search, what we encourage the board is, and this happens a lot of the time, Lisa, is to say, if you think you want to be a CEO sometime in your life, let us know or call Didi or call Peter. What we'll do there, even though they might be a few levels removed, you know, there's some guidelines or boundaries here, but let's say I'm a vice president and someday I want to be a CEO. Let's put you through the process. Let's line you up with that future CEO profile and you get a gap analysis and you get a coaching plan. So you know what you need to be doing the next five, seven years. So I love it when that happens. Second is tell your CEO, This is what I want. I want to learn more. I want to increase my leadership capacity. I want to make different kinds of decisions. I want to add more value. Well, whatever it is, and ask for more opportunities. So step into the game, step into the burning platform. There's plenty of opportunities to lead, whether you're a CEO or a president or chief something. There are so many opportunities where we need good, good leaders. So I would say step up and and let's get it done. Nobody's going to say no to you wanting to learn.
1: Get out there, go to those educational conferences, get exposed.
2: When I look at resumes, one of the first things I do is I, I look at the very first, I mean, we should have a resume, how I look at resume podcasts sometime, but I look at what have they done since they got their degree? Have they gone to a CEO Institute? I think at least 25% of my candidates have gone to the Q CEO Institute. In fact, I wish you could do that more frequently so more people could go through it because it's rigorous and it's an upsell. When I'm talking about candidates to a board and I see that they've been through the Institute and they've completed it, I bring that up. I go, this is a really good program.
0: And it's interesting to note that the value of the CCE designation that people earn by going through all three years of the Institute program is actually correlated in our Q's compensation survey data with slightly higher compensation. So it is a valuable learning experience and then it becomes part of their credential that carries with them down the road.
1: It literally pays to get it. It literally
0: educated. pays. It's true. So assuming a board has done a good job of the ramp up to hiring a new CEO and they've brought someone on board, what happens in the next year and what kinds of support is needed? to make this a success in the long-term?
2: Oh, great question, Lisa. Real excited to share that a lot of boards are understanding that one of the first things they're asking the new CEO to do is start the succession plan again. So what is really working well is what we call onboard coaching, CEO and chair coaching for the first year. There is a structure about it because what we wanna do as soon as we can is work with the chair and sometimes a vice chair And the CEO, we're in the same room together or same Zoom meeting. And the idea there is to figure out how do we build trust together? What kind of communication do we need? What should be the structure of a relationship? How will we know when a breakdown is starting to happen? What happens if we break trust? How do we rebuild it? We have this whole agenda we walk through. But what happens too after that is we are working with the CEO on a structured coaching schedule where we help acclimate to the new C-suite? Even if the person's internal, how do they switch from being a peer to being the CEO? If they're an external, how do they get to know and onboard with their new team? What's the appropriate pace? How to understand their blind spots and manage those from day one? Also looking at where are they in the cycle of strategic planning? Are they taking over a former CEO strategic plan or do they have to do one all over again? The whole thing. So we We look at what does it take to be a really good CEO? We help put together your first 90 days and what that looks like. So what I'm encouraging here is for the board to understand that your succession plan has punctuation mark. You got your CEO. Now let's give support to make sure that the CEO is going to work out really well and you're rebuilding a relationship with a new person.
0: Fabulous. So Peter, we've talked a lot about the idea that there's a pretty long ramp up three to five years to really have a succession strategy in place for a new CEO. And also we've talked about the value of having support for the new CEO once hired and on board. Can you talk to me about how long that really translates to and what level of commitment the board is giving at each point in the process or at several points along the process?
1: Yeah. Like time commitment. Yeah. They get measured and gosh, I'm not getting paid enough. Like we hear that joke a lot from board members. I'm not getting paid enough for this time commitment. And I get it. And I can almost set my watch to that joke that gets thrown out there. Let's just think about it like this. Let's say we're going to do a search. Bare minimum six months to really allow for a structure to land, take root. And for a board and a search consultant and the CEO to really partner and get this thing off the ground, successfully launched. We really want to give ourselves time to dedicate, to have the conversations that we need to have, take the action steps that are required so that we can really maximize the outcome. Too often, I would say that because of that time commitment, that six months board members are front loaded with the structure that is needed for them to put in their mind's eye, oh, this is what's going to be required from me during these checkpoints, during these gates, during these phases. They just don't know. And and I'll just put it as one board member told me, I think it's maybe about two weeks ago. Yeah, we were just surprised about when the next step was going to happen. We were working with someone else. We just didn't know what to expect. So it's too important of a decision, I think, to leave board members hanging. Their time is extremely valuable. So they need that structure because the structure will accelerate and maximize the outcome.
0: How many years have you and Didi been doing CEO succession planning and onboarding support?
1: Our company started in 1989 in executive search with financial institutions, large regional and multinational banks, Okay, More executives in those, that kind of realm. And then we found ourselves inside of credit unions, late 90s. And then I think we've been doing the CEO searches, I think maybe 95, something like that. So we've been working on it a long time. When we were starting with the search business and we implemented our structure, which has been replicated and we're always inventing and innovating, we were invited into, well, gosh, I learned a lot through this about myself. Can you help us develop our team? We launched our leadership development business. And then about 2010 is when we really refined our strategy development conversation because each one of these conversations, you've heard us talk about it today. We're, and we're just talking about the CEO position, each one of those kinds of topics interweave and overlap with each other. And so we've made it based on our clients kind of asking us, hey, can you come in and help us with this conversation? So then we we develop that structure to interweave them together and help them ascertain the right outcome.
0: I can see how bringing experience to the table would be really useful to people because you've seen a lot of cases. And you've had a lot of questions asked of you over the years. And you've had the time to reflect on them and to see what has worked better than other options. And then to bring those things together for the current group, which may be brand new to the project at hand of hiring a new CEO.
1: Yeah. Lots of times board members, this is their first time they're hiring a CEO, right? It might be the only
0: time for some of them. And it
1: might be the only time, the first and only time, right?
0: So having someone who's been through it before at your side could be a valuable asset.
1: And I think this is why DDJ and Q's, we, we like to partner so much together is that we're, we're an education-based kind of organization. We like to, as we're going along, we're not just shoehorning people into a process. We're educating as to the implications of the steps and the phases we're going along because we want you to be better equipped to have greater agency in this process, right? It's not our process, it's your process. We're working you through it.
0: Yeah, we're all about education here at Q's. So I appreciate that sentiment very much, Peter. You You were so supportive when I asked you earlier about the question from a listener to the Q's podcast. I have another one. Would you be game to answer another question from a listener that you seem like a really good person to ask for?
1: Well, that's a loaded kind of question. Yes, I'm happy to help out. Let's (laughs) Let's see what we can do here.
0: Thank you. So here's the question. It's from Terry Hetzler, who is chairman of the board of Bellco Credit Union in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania.
1: I've just listened to a few of your podcasts and I really enjoy listening to them. I hope to get through as many as I can and I hope to encourage the board to
0: listen to as many as they possibly can. The future topic would be paid performance for executives amidst the COVID-19 epidemic. Appreciate your help. Thank you. Thank you so much for the question, Terry any thoughts about how to handle executive paid performance in these unusual times peter terry there's
1: metrics there should be metrics there's a as as we just talked about there's methodology to do this thing right for ceo performance and incentive pay one of the things that we're working with and the number of our clients on and the ceo executive performance payout is well gosh we had to kind of you know blow the budget up this year And a lot of boards are saying, but we don't want to hold our CEO accountable for the budget having to be modified because of the pandemic. But what do we do? Well, luckily, the ones that we're working with, at least they have this leadership methodology in place that, hey, how did the CEO, how did he or she lead through this pandemic? What are the aspects that you want to lift off into the conversation and provide as positive feedback? What are the opportunities that you think that That CEO missed as a leadership opportunity and incentivize on that way A CEO performance evaluation is different than executive paid performance. There's a way to link those together. Even though we have an established budget, there's ways to modify those outcomes as we're going along and link in the leadership assessment to it. Now, for those that don't have this methodology in place, I would encourage you to go What's the right thing to do for our members? What's the right thing to do for our CEO so that we can incentivize the right behavior in the future?
0: Can you give an example of what you're thinking about? Like, What could be an example of the right kind of leadership action in the past year that a board might want to lift up and recognize?
1: Yeah. i will to speak maybe not just about the coronavirus, but also with Black Lives Matter, which is a really important thing for us as an industry to face into. And I appreciate what Cuse has put out about that. A lot of CEOs don't know how to embrace that conversation. I mean, there's just so much that's been happening this year. I think some boards are really appreciative of CEOs that are facing into the difficulty of those topics, educating themselves on them, talking about those topics in an appropriate manner that makes people feel heard and included in the conversation. Uh, CEO I know has worked with the board to bring the Black Lives Matter conversation down to the staff level and have some voices be heard. Now, that was a risk because it was such a foreign topic, but the board felt like that was the right risk to take. They didn't know how the staff was going to react to it. But you know what? We can't always manage to the potential reaction. We have to manage to what's the right thing to do. So I think that leadership risk was the right thing to do for this one CEO.
0: Those are great perspectives, Peter, to look at the values of the organization, the values the board holds dear for the organization. And in times when you kind of have to throw out the original budget and the original strategic objectives, you can still look to your values. They're still there. Yeah. Thank you so much for being on the show. Hey, I'm happy to be here, Lisa. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. And Peter, thanks for partnering.
1: Yes, yeah, that was fun. Thanks so much.
0: Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen to the Q's podcast. It was great to have our guests on today's show respond to two listener questions. You can leave a voicemail with your question for a future show at 325-603-2589. Or if you'd like to use a web form to submit your question, you can do so at qs.org slash podcast. Thanks very much to Dee and Peter for being our guests on the show today. What a wealth of information they brought with them. You can find Didi J. Myers on the web at D D J Myers, that's M Y E R S dot com. If you liked this show and want to listen to their previous podcast about how to smash a CEO interview, visit cumanagement.com slash podcast 73. Q's deeply appreciates DDJ Myers being a silver level Q's solutions provider. Our thanks also go out to Q's solutions bronze level provider SRM for sponsoring this show. If you'd like to learn more about being a Q's solutions provider or how to sponsor a podcast or other Q's content, please email carrie at q's.org. That's K-A-R-I. At cues.org. Get additional credit union specific content when you visit cumanagement.com. If you're interested in diversity, equity, and inclusion, please click on the orange banner at the top of the page. If you're a CUES member, you have access to invaluable membership benefits to further enhance your development, many of which are available virtually. Visit cues.org slash membership learn more. Thanks again for listening today. Q's is an international credit union association. Our mission is to educate and develop credit union CEOs, executives, directors, and future leaders. To learn how Q's can help you realize your potential, visit q's.org today.